0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Lord Jesus, we do confess that it was our sins that put you on the cross. We call this Good Friday not because We are good, but because you are good and have borne our wickedness in your body on the cross. We pray that you would speak to us through your word now as we come to it. Humble us before it even further so that you might be lifted up and exalted and that we might be made low. We pray that you strengthen us by your spirit now, help us to encourage one another in Christ's name, amen. Good afternoon, I love Good Friday because we get to come together in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week To gather with God's people to worship, and it's a very sweet thing to get to do, isn't it? Yeah. In John 3, we have the account of a man named Nicodemus coming to ask Jesus some questions in the middle of the night And Nicodemus was a leader of the Jews, a Pharisee, who knew the law and knew the prophecies of the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He also knew in his head that Jesus was sent from God because of the wonderful, wonderful things that Jesus said and that he did. But Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. And so to help Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, remember, understand how someone can see the true kingdom of God... Jesus talks about something that happened to the Jews in the Old Testament. So Jesus says in John to Nicodemus, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, being a teacher of the law, Nicodemus would have been very familiar with this account of Moses and the serpent from the book of Numbers. But most of us need a refresher, so let's read it. From Numbers 21, the Israelites have been set free from their bondage in Egypt, and they're wandering in the desert. And it says, then they, sent out, they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man... When he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. The snakes that God sent among the Israelites were lethal. The passage makes it clear that upon being bitten, death was imminent. There was no escape once the venom of these fiery serpents had entered the bloodstream. There was no hope, no antidote. It says that many people of Israel died. But when the people cried out to God in repentance, he did provide a cure. He told Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it will come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Now sin is lethal, and its consequence, death, is imminent. None of us have died physically yet, but we've all been bitten by the snake. Death is the natural result of sin, for it is God's curse on disobedience. This is the universal testimony of scripture. Romans 3 tells us that the wages, the payment of sin is death. Romans 5, through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned in james each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust then when lust is conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished it brings forth death and god has provided a cure which Jesus says is himself the Son of Man. Some of us have lifted our eyes and looked upon the cure and bid spared from imminent death. Without Christ, you are still under a sentence of death, just waiting for the poison of sin to bring your life to an end. This truth is drawn out more fully in what Jesus says in John 3. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who does not believe has been judged already. In other words, condemnation is our default state. The Son of God didn't have to come into the world to judge us. He could have very easily done that from heaven. We already sat under God's judgment before he came. And he says that all we have to do now in order to be condemned is nothing. Now most of us really think that we are pretty good people. You probably haven't murdered anyone. You actually enjoy doing nice things for people. You like people to be happy and you don't like it when people suffer through painful tragedy. In fact, according to man's standards, you can be pretty righteous. This is what John Calvin says. He says, according to carnal, natural, fleshly, external judgment, when we look on the outward appearance, man seems to know himself very well. When confident in his understanding and uprightness, he becomes bold and urges himself to the duties of virtue and declaring war on vices, endeavors to exert himself with all his ardor toward the excellent and the honorable. When we judge righteousness and virtue by man's standards, we can be very pleased with ourselves because we manage to do some pretty honorable things. But Calvin continues, he says, But he who scrutinizes and examines himself according to the standard of divine judgment, God's judgment, finds nothing to lift his heart to self-confidence. And the more deeply he examines himself, the more dejected he becomes until, utterly deprived of all assurance, he leaves nothing to himself with which to direct his life aright. In other words, you may think you're pretty good by your own standards. You may even be a righteous person by other people's standards. You may be holy by the entire world's standards, but nothing matters until you've examined yourself by God's standards God made you and therefore God owns you. And that is true regardless of whether you've believed in Christ or not. And unless your whole life is pleasing to God, your maker, you are hopeless. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Until you awake to the fact that your nature itself is evil, until you realize that your trouble is not that you do this and that which is wrong, but that you yourself are wrong, and that your whole nature is wrong. Until you realize that, you will never have felt the need of a Savior. Christ cannot help or advise or comfort you until he has first of all saved you, until he has changed your nature. It makes no difference who you are or what you are. It makes no difference how good you may appear to be or how much good work you may do. You may have been inside the church all your life and actively engaged in its work, but still I say that unless you have at some time or other felt that your very nature itself is sinful, that you are, in the words of Paul, dead in sins, then you have never known Jesus Christ as a Savior. And if you do not know Him as a Savior, you do not know Him at all. They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. So you may do some good things, but ask yourself this. Are you living a life that is pleasing to God? Notice what the the Israelites were originally indicted for. What caused God to sentence them to death? Were they engaged in sexual immorality? Was it that they were murdering people? Were they sacrificing their children? No. No. Not this time anyways. What was their awful sin? The people became impatient. They spoke against God and his prophet. Then, did you notice what they actually complained about? They said, there is no food and no water and we loathe this miserable food. Do you know what they were complaining about? Do you know what miserable food they were deriding? Manna. The bread that God had miraculously caused to fall from heaven. So that they might be sustained in the desert. It was God's gracious provision for them. An unmistakable sign of his love and his care for them. And a constant source of strength. And health in a place where they should have died. They complained about manna. And that's why God sent a plague of deadly serpents into their midst. So for the moment examine yourself by this one question. Do you love and submit to the word of God? Scripture is the bread from heaven that God has sent to sustain us in this world. Is the Bible a wonderful thing for you to feast on every day or is reading God's word a drag? Do you see it as plain, bland, miserable food you wish you didn't have to bother with? Do you see the preaching of the word as vital and sustaining or is it boring? Then go beyond these questions and ask yourself, do you love praying to God? Do you love worship and fellowship with God's people? Do you love your brothers and sisters more than you love yourself? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and soul and might? If not, you stand condemned before God. You are under sin and unrighteousness and therefore subject to God's judgment. These are the questions to ask yourself. Do you love God? Or are you satisfied with other people looking at your outward actions and thinking that you are righteous? How do you judge your righteousness? According to the flesh or according to the spirit of God? Are you living to please God the Father or are you living to please yourself? If you are living and judging yourself purely according to the flesh, God says that you must die. You are living in sin. You deserve God's judgment because even though man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on your heart with 20-20 vision. And in order to escape this judgment, you must come to Jesus Christ. Now the Israelites bitten by the serpents were sentenced to death with no escape. But God provided salvation. If they would simply look in faith at Moses' bronze snake that he made... And set on a standard. They had one choice. Right? Look at the snake or don't look at the snake. There was no in between. It would have been absolute foolishness for them not to look at the snake. For it was the only way to be saved. And just as looking at the bronze serpent was the only means of salvation for the Israelites at that time, so looking to the Son of Man, Jesus is the only means of salvation for us. Now why Jesus? Jesus lived a life without sin. He never disobeyed God's commands. He loved the Father perfectly with all of his heart, soul, and might. And by living a perfect life, he earned God's blessing. He actually earned it by how he lived. He succeeded where Adam, our natural father, failed. Adam earned God's curse. Christ earned God's blessing. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that all who look upon him, upon Christ, will be given eternal life. Which is God's promised blessing on all those who obey him perfectly. So why don't people look to Jesus? I mean, can you imagine getting bitten by a snake? Having the option of looking to the bronze serpent for healing and not looking? You would have to love the darkness of your sin and rebellion in order not to look at the snake. And Jesus says that indeed describes everyone who doesn't look upon him for the forgiveness of their sins. They love the darkness of their sin and refuse to be healed. He says this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. But why would anyone refuse to be healed? It's the height of stupidity. Jesus tells us why. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In order to open this up, I want to ask the question, I assume pops into your mind if you're like me, when you read this passage. And that is, why would Jesus compare himself to a snake? To a serpent? I mean, what's the deal? I thought Satan... Was the snake, and Jesus is going to crush his head. I thought Jesus was the lamb of God. After all, lambs are cute and cuddly, and snakes are, well, gross. That's right, snakes are gross, and they're pictures of sin and of God's curse. And that's exactly why Jesus draws a parallel between himself and the snake that Moses lifted up. Because not only did he earn the blessing of the law by obeying, he received the curse of the law in his death. Galatians says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Second Corinthians. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Those Israelites could not look upon that snake Without being reminded that snakes were God's judgment on their sin, they could not see the cure without being reminded of their own rebellion. If you looked at that snake, you were confessing what your sin deserved. In the same way, we cannot look upon the cross of Jesus Christ without realizing that crucifixion is the curse we deserve. On the cross, Jesus became a gross object of hatred and rejection and shame. And that death is the death we deserve because of our sin. God cannot simply pass over your sin. His forgiveness of your sin does not mean that he forgets about it and pretends like it never happened. The Israelites in the desert needed a cure for their sin. And the cure directly corresponded to the nature of their curse and their suffering. The cause of their pain and death was lifted up in the wilderness for them to look at. So that they might be healed. In the same way, Jesus so took our curse upon himself that he is that serpent lifted up. He became sin on our behalf. His bloody torn, pierced flesh was lifted up and those who see the punishment of their own sins in his wounds are the only ones who can be healed. One last thing when that bronze serpent was lifted up Moses put it on a standard lifted high so that all could see it. Jesus said that he, the son of man, must be lifted up in the same way. And when he was lifted up on that cross, he was lifted up for the whole world to see. But what did the world see? It saw the shame of sin born in Christ's body. Jews Gentiles, men, women, and children, governors, and common people stood and watched as Jesus bore our sins in his body. The shameful curse of sin and the cross of Jesus Christ are public truths. The truth of our sin and our hope in, God, in the gospel is not just a truth for the privacy of our homes and churches, it is God's love for the world. To be proclaimed to every soul who's been bitten by the snake and is suffering under the deadly bondage of their sin. So look to the cross of Jesus Christ. See the shame and the curse of your sin lifted up for all to see and be healed. Do not fear your deeds being exposed. It is the only way to be saved and it is the constant hope of the Christian that Christ must increase and we must decrease. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for crushing your son under the weight of our sins. We do confess to you that we have earned that curse and how we have lived. Please strengthen us For the work of walking in righteousness. Father, cause us to be dead in sin, but alive to righteousness, united with Christ in his death, but also in his resurrection as we look forward to Easter. Give us joy and hope. Let us proclaim this truth to the world, reflecting the fact that you had your son crucified in the sight of the entire world. Help us, we pray, and strengthen us. Please forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen.